I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant and the founder at Boldside where I help leaders build the best teams ever. And if you want to have one of those teams and you don't right now, message me because we can work together on building a culture people can't wait to join and don't want to leave. Let's chat on LinkedIn. On today's episode, we're talking about the gender pay gap. We've done a few episodes in the past with the Workplace Gender Equality Agency, otherwise known as WGIA, and we've talked through what's happening in the pay equality space. And this is a really important conversation. To be honest, it can be a painful one because we're not seeing change fast enough in this area. But the reason why we want to keep bringing Wajia back on the show is because we have to confront some of the brutal reality of what we're seeing in the gender pay gap, why we're not seeing the volume of women in leadership and what needs to change in the systems and structure of workplaces to enable us to close that gender pay gap. So Lucy Bradlow, who's speaking on behalf of Wajia, she is their communications and care campaigns executive and she answers a stack of questions about the pay gap and some of the changes in legislation over the last year that are going to help us see more women in leadership, more pay transparency. So enjoy this episode. Let's get into it. Lucy Bradlow, welcome to the show. It's great to have you hanging out with us today. Thanks so much for having me. We are digging into what is happening in the gender equality space. We've had the team from the Workplace Gender Equality Agency on before. And so I felt like it was time to get you guys back on the show to talk about what we're seeing in terms of trends when it comes to gender equality and the gender pay gap. So I'm just going to dive straight in with the hard hitting questions, Lucy. The first one is what is the current gender pay gap? Yes, a great starting question. Um, The current gender pay gap is 22.8%, which I think is just sort of a bit of a funny way of saying that for on average, every $1 earned by a man, a woman earns 77 cents. So that means that over the course of a year, the average woman earns $26,596 a year less than a man. And I think if you think about that in the context of what we're living in, the world we're living in at the moment, the financial crisis that we're going through, the cost of living pressures that everyone's facing, it's a lot of money and it makes just general life a lot harder for women. You know, there's a range of reasons that go into that. There's a range of different ways you can measure the gender pay gap and people will squabble over, you know, oh, well, you don't include this or you do include this or you do include that. But every single way you cut the data, there's always a gender pay gap in favour of men in Australia. Yeah, I remember on a previous episode where we were talking with Mary Wooldridge about this issue and about people kind of saying, oh, it's all fake. It's all make-believe, basically. It's to do with the industries that women choose to get into versus men. But I loved what she said on that episode, which was even in female-dominated industries like teaching, nursing, 
there's still a significant gender pay gap. So the industry angle of, well, there's just less women in tech or there's less women in engineering and their high paid roles, that angle doesn't seem to hold up when you still look at the industry-based data. Is that what you're seeing? I mean, that conversation was probably 18 months ago. Is that still what you're seeing? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, again, it comes down to some of this jargony language that you'll see going around of industrial and occupational segregation. But when you break that down, what it means is that there are certain industries in Australia that are dominated by women and there are certain industries in Australia that are dominated by men. We're more in segregated than most countries in the most developed countries in the world. And what we see is that not just that those industries that are dominated by women are paid less. I think that also means that we value those industries left less. So social welfare and care, um, healthcare, education, they're the industries that are dominated by women and they're paid significantly less than the industries that are dominated by men like construction and mining. And then within those industries, it's what's called occupational segregation. And so that's where men tend to be at more senior levels and women tend to be in the lower paying roles. So even in teaching roles, for instance, women tend to be in the teaching roles while there's an over-representation of men in roles like principals or managers of schools. So even when you go to a female-dominated industry, it's the men that are getting the higher paid roles within those industries. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think there's so much in this conversation where it's really, it's kind of sad, right? Because we've been talking about this issue for a long, long time. Like I remember reporting back when I was in internal HR, doing these reports to the agency because organisations over 100 people have to report every year on the gender pay gap, which is an awesome way of getting this stuff to the surface. So businesses have to eyeball the pain points and see and look and go, what's happening here? Where is the ingrained bias? What is the gap between our women in leadership right now? Like just being able to assess the data and look at it and and get close to the pain of that is really important, I think, for businesses. But I think one of the things that we can find when we're confronting bias and discrimination of any kind is that feeling of fatigue around, oh, when will we see the result or when will we see the change? How do you, I just love to know personally how you go because you're working in this space, you're, you're confronted with it every day. How do you deal with that side of it? Yeah, definitely. And I think it has started to feel exhausting at times, especially when, you know, we look at the gender pay gap, for instance, and it stayed the same last year um, as it was the year before that. And you have to look at a couple of things. You have to look at the fact that since we started collecting the data, it has dropped significantly. So there has been real progress and that's a really good thing and we should all look at that and think, well, you know, exactly what you just said. When companies are forced to look at their data and see that they have a gender pay gap, they will often make changes. So that's really good. But then you have to look at it and say, okay, it's stalled. Something's gone wrong here. What more do you need to do? And that's what Wajia did a couple of years ago. And it went to the government and it said, things are not going the direction we want them to go. Here are the things we think you can do to um, to change that. The government did a review in 2021 and they came up with some recommendations, most of which were taken from our 
um, recommendations to them. And then earlier this year, the legislation, the new legislation was passed, which means there's a number of changes that are going to happen that we think are going to have a really positive impact on the direction of workplace gender equality in Australia. The most exciting of which I think probably for everyone, but particularly for people like your listeners, is that companies are now going to put in all their data as usual. What usually happens is we send them back their gender pay gap um, and they have that information. They know what their gender pay gap is and they're supposed to act on it. Now what we're going to do is we're going to publish that information so everyone's going to be able to see. That means that if you're going to um, look for a job or you're looking at a job at the moment and you think, I wonder if this company really values um, gender equality. And you go online and they seem to have a great policy on parental leave. They seem to have great flexibility policies. Um, they seem to talk the talk. And then you can see, uh-oh, this company has a gender pay gap of 40% and the national average is 22.8%. Then you know that there's a disconnect between what they're saying and what they're doing. And you can think to yourself, well, I don't actually think that that's a company that I want to work for. Similarly, if you're in a company already and you're looking around and you're thinking, I don't know, I don't feel like they're valuing me the same as my male colleagues or I'm a male colleague and I feel like there's more that we could be doing for gender equality in this organisation, you can take that data to your uh, manager or to the leadership and you can say, look, here's the data, here's a whole bunch of reasons why you should be working on this. It's good for retention, it's good for recruitment, it's good for our reputation as an organisation. And I think that that transparency is going to make a huge difference to um, the way people see workplace gender equality. We've already seen in the UK, which started doing this in 2017, that it's made a really big difference to the way companies view workplace gender equality as a part of their overall strategy and approach. It's amazing how getting that data out there, it changes behaviour on multiple fronts. So it changes behaviour of the candidate where the candidate mm-hmm. can get almost like behind the curtains where they can peek behind the curtains, go, what's really going on there? Like what is the leadership pathways for women or what is the representation of women at key management levels? And just getting to look and go, well, does that dynamic or culture seem like one that I want to be part of? So that kind of forces organisations to change. But also just the vulnerability, if you're an employer, the vulnerability of having that out there and going, hey, are we comfortable with this metric? Like, mm-hmm. are we are we comfortable? And, and we should get uncomfortable about it. Like, we should allow ourselves to be uncomfortable and be bothered by it. Like, that's what I think. I, I could imagine that fatigue feeling that you, you guys have probably experienced of when you see that 22% from 2021 to 2022 and you haven't seen that lift of going, okay, well, we need some radical changes in order to keep the momentum and the progress that we've seen in years prior. What other recommendations? Because I know there's, there's been a few changes in terms of policy around this. What other recommendations or changes have we seen? Definitely. So there's a few more things that are included in the legislation. Some of them are a bit wonky, but um, things like, you know, CEO salaries will now be part of the the reporting, which is really important because that will quite radically change the average gender pay gap, Um, will require companies to provide the reports that we give them to say, here's what your gender equality reporting looks like and here's what it looks like in comparison to your industry. They're now going to have to give those to their boards, which I think is a really important accountability measure because if you're on the board of a big organisation and you're looking at it and say you're in the retail industry and you're looking at your um, company and you're saying, oh, 
we're not performing very well compared to the rest of the companies in our industry. It's a bit of a wake-up call. We're also going to strengthen reporting on sexual harassment, which came out of the Respect at Work report, which is really important. I think we're seeing a pickup in that across the board in Australia, which is so important and really valuable work. So those are the main ones. Yeah, amazing. Can you talk to me a little bit more about how the CEO pay reporting or salary reporting will change the average pay gap? Yeah, so it's um, again with like, you know, with the gender pay gap stuff, it gets complicated when you get down to the measurement of it. So the way we report the gender pay gap at the moment, it's an average. So we take all the salaries of the men and we average them out. We take all the salaries of the women, we average them out and we take the average male salaries minus the average female salaries and divide it by the average male salaries. And that's how you get the average gender pay gap. We can also calculate what we call a median gender pay gap. And so that's when you take all the salaries and you look for the middle point. And so when you have us add a CEO salary in, that's often the highest paid person in the organization and it's often quite a lot higher. And so that's going to shift the average up quite a lot. Um, so we're going to see some quite dramatic changes. So for the first year of reporting, because we're not including CEO salaries until next year, for the first year of reporting gender pay gaps, we're only going to report median gender pay gaps um, and gender pay gaps by quartile, which means we divide up the salaries into four sections, lowest paid, highest paid, two sections in the middle. Um, and then the second year we'll add back in average or what we call mean, which is all very mathematical. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to start seeing how do CEO salaries, and because 80% of CEOs in Australia are men, it's going to really shift how these CEO salaries are going to affect the gender pay gap. We're going to see big differences. Mm, that's really interesting. So for me, who's I've self-confessed terrible at maths. I've said that in our book, in the podcast multiple times <laughs> and all the like average mean median to me, I'm like, yeah, yeah, great, great, great. The simple version for someone like me is, is it the CEO salary level because it's that much higher? Like it could be 10 times higher than the lowest paid person or more. Is that increasing the gap that we're seeing? Yes, it will. If you if you get an average of everyone, it'll increase the gap because 80% of CEOs are men. If you yeah. have an organisation with a female CEO, it'll decrease the gender yeah. pay gap. Of course, it depends on how much more highly paid the CEO is. Of, yeah. You know, some organisations, there isn't that big a difference between what the senior leadership gets paid and the CEO gets paid. But often what we see, and, you know, one of the biggest problems in Australia and around the world with gender equality in the workplace, and, you know, we can go into this in more detail, is still the cliff of getting women into leadership positions. And that's often why the gender pay gap is high, because we still aren't getting women into leadership positions. Because at the moment it's, what, 19% of CEOs are female. I think that's yeah, what the latest about, data It's about is. 80% men, yeah. So if only one in five CEOs is, is female, we have that problem of why are we still not getting more women into the C-suite, into that exec positions and those key management roles? Absolutely. And I think, you know, the latest data set we saw, 41% of managers were women and that was up from 35.9% when refor- reporting to Wajia first began. So over nine years, it went up five percentage points. 
So it's really not a big amount and it's a real pressure point for gender inequality in Australia. You know, one of the key reasons is because we've talked a lot about flexibility over the last few years and flexible work has shot through the roof since COVID and that's a wonderful thing. But really aligning flexibility to senior management roles is not still a real challenge for a lot of organisations and showing people that it is possible to have women in part-time roles or women in job share roles is still a challenge and we've got to do it because without making leadership look different, we're just never going to get the same level of um, women in leadership roles. And I think it also discourages men because it shows men that the only way to be in a leadership role is to be a full-time 50-hour-a-week worker, and that's got to change, right? This is 2023. That's just not how people want to work anymore. Most people don't want to dedicate their lives to sitting in front of a computer anymore. Most people want to have a life, and men want to spend time with their children and spend time with their families and do other things too, but they're not seeing any role modelling in workplaces for how they can do that and still have a leadership position in their workplace. That's so massive. I love what you're saying there because I feel like you've hit the nail on the head with we've seen so much change in flexibility over the last few years, although I know some of the big banks are making people come back. This week there was a few announcements at the time that this podcast is recording of (laughs) people being required to go back to the office and I've got a very strong view on remote work. I think that we should lead with trust and and allow people to work wherever as long as we've got those parameters. Now, I know that doesn't work for certain industries like teachers, nursing, all those roles that are so crucial. This is a really roundabout way, Lucy, of me going, yes, we've seen so much change in every role, but we're not seeing the change at the leadership exec level where execs are still working huge hours. They're always on. They're always responding, feeling like they have to respond to their emails like, that role modelling of, hey, you can be in an executive role and do Mm part-time. I don't have a good example that I can point to of that and that makes me kind of sad. I I think that we should have more of that but for some reason I can't think and maybe it's just I haven't spent enough time thinking but I can't see those examples. Absolutely and I think, you know, when when we look at the real challenges, it all comes from those structural and cultural changes that need to be made. Um, you know, if you look at things like men taking parental leave, for instance, more and more organisations are offering paid parental leave to primary carers, if not um, gender neutral paid parental leave, which is best practice and what we'd advise, they're offering um, paid parental leave to primary carers regardless of sex. So men can take primary carers leave, yet we're still seeing a very slow uptake of paid parental leave for men. It went up from only two percentage points in the last year. And, you know, there was recently uh, some research published that said that men feel more discriminated at work for taking time for caring responsibilities than women. It found that more than half of male caregivers, 55% believe they're treated unfairly at work and nearly one third percent believe that they lost their job because of caregiving, which is just really distressing. So that would point to the fact that those are real cultural changes that need to be made before the structural changes can be um, be implemented. And those are the sort of changes that will both encourage women to go into 
full-time work or into work back into the workplace and into leadership roles but also encourage men to take a step back and to be more involved in caregiving which I think a lot of men want to do and don't get the opportunity to do. All the evidence shows that dads who take parental leave are happier, they experience increased level of engagement and bonding with their children, they're more likely to engage with caring responsibilities within their home, they have better physical and mental health. Yeah, it's great and yet we're not encouraging them and giving them the support they need to properly engage with it. I love seeing that change of going from even the old school language of maternity leave and going, no, it's parental leave, it's genderless. I think both parents need to be actively engaged and share that parenting role and that's going to help us shift some of those cultural dynamics. But to your point, and we talked about this offline before we jumped on the recording, you mentioned the system needs to change and there's this idea of how how do we... Because as we hear this as individuals, I think that's where the fatigue comes from because it's like, well, what can I do? Because this has been there for such a long time. How can I change it? And you mentioned, well, the system needs to change. What do you mean when you say that? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, the system does need to change. And part of it's what we were just talking about with, you know, more flexible roles and, and different approaches to leadership. But I think what's, what is really encouraging is that there are changes, um, we just talked about the changes to Wajir's legislation. Um, the respect at work legislation came through last year. Another big thing that happened was the um, fair work legislation amend- amendment was passed in late last year. And that means that employees legally can't be prevented from talking about how much they're paid anymore. I think that's really important um, because it gives young people particularly, a better sense of where they are in the market. And it gives them the openness and the freedom to to talk about their pay with their colleagues and to be able to advocate for themselves properly on a fair basis. You know, I work in the public sector and so all of our pay scales are set. You go in, you know what you're going to get paid and it takes out a lot of the, the stress and the pain of everything. But for most people who work in the private sector, you have no idea often um, where you sit, what your colleagues are getting paid and whether or not you're being valued at the proper amount. And, you know, I was saying to you before, I spent um, the vast majority of my career in so far in the US and one of the things I was quite shocked when I first got there was people just openly talk about their pay all the time, you know. doesn't have the same cultural barriers that we have. They love talking about money and they talk about it all the time. Um, At first, I was a bit embarrassed and I didn't want to talk about anything. And then I realised the value of engaging in the conversations and knowing where I sit. And I think what I really realised was that it's so important to build allies amongst your peers and to work with your peers to understand where you sit, how you can work together, how you can um, support each other in uh, advocating for better pay or you know, negotiating around what you should be paid and how well you should be valued in your particular organisation. And I remember there was a situation where I thought I was being a bit underpaid and I wanted a pay rise, but I just had absolutely no idea what to ask for. And I sort of sheepishly told my friend at work and she said to me, okay, well, what are you getting paid now? And I told her and she said, okay, what was your bonus? I told her. 
She said, well, this is what you should be paid. This is what I get paid. You're not as experienced as me, but you're pretty close to it. So you should be getting paid this. You should go in and this is how you should ask for it. And I was so shocked by the forthrightness of it. But I went in, I did exactly that. I, you know, set out my list of what I'd achieved and why I thought I was valuable and what I thought I was worth. And um, I got exactly what I asked for. And someone else at the same time, I found out through the grapevine, had gone in and asked for a raise and had asked for something exorbitant. And they'd said no to him because he hadn't set out, you know, he hadn't engaged with where he was actually sitting in the scale. And it just is a really good reminder that sometimes people hear pay transparency and they think, employers think, oh, this is going to, you know, sink us. But actually, it's just about knowing where you sit and and being armed with the information to to get what you deserve um, and to feel comfortable in your role and to feel valued, which is all you really want. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the pay transparency legislation, like changing how, how we're now able to talk about pay because, you know, previously I remember contracts used to say, you know, you're not able to talk about, like pay is confidential, blah, blah, blah. Whereas now you can talk about it openly. It'll be interesting to see how that shifts and how, if that impacts what we're seeing with the gender pay gap, because if more people are talking about it and then more people are using that information they're finding as context to have pay discussions at work, will that help see any change? Are you, are you forecasting anything at Wajia around that? I'm not aware of any research that has been done specifically on that. I think it's quite difficult to monitor because it's quite difficult to know whether people are actually having those conversations. But regardless, I would encourage people to use it as a mechanism to be educated and to be informed and to be able to get what they deserve and what they're valued at. Yeah. Yeah, It's really interesting as well. I reckon it'll take some time for people to feel comfortable about that because I think you mentioned in that US culture where everyone talked about pay, it wasn't as taboo. Mm. But I think certainly my experience has been pay in Australia has been a taboo topic unless you're under the award or you have an enterprise agreement that stipulates the pay levels and everyone's very clear. Like in the private sector, it's all very hush-hush. And I still imagine that would be the case. And I don't know what it is because in business land, like I see so many entrepreneurs now, especially even on Instagram saying, just hit seven figures or just done. And so they're very vocal about it. So that's kind of cool. Like I'm into that. I'm like, sell that. Like tell us, tell us that stuff. I wonder how long that will trans and when that will kind of transfer over to employees feeling able to go, you know what, I just got a pay rise for this much because I did this, this and this. So if you want to get there, look at exploring these avenues, I think that will have an impact on people. I do think there's a right and a wrong way to go about those conversations. And I think there's great re- there's great resources on the Wajia website, even about how to have conversations around flexible work, which we'll put in the show notes. If you're thinking about how do I be armed with information and context, we still need to think about how do we position the conversation for the best chance of success. And I think what you described of that person coming in with this ridiculous request of like, you know, give me a pay rise of $1 million or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, we still need to make the conversation and prepare for that conversation. I think there's ways that make that more effective than others. Like we can go in and go, okay, cool. I now know context. I know what the salary market externally looks like. I know what people paid internally look like. And 
I want to talk about what I've done that's added value to this business and make Absolutely. it about you and your value to the business, less about, hey, everyone else out there and what is it that you're doing to make an impact on that business? Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And I think that, um, you know, one of the things I always tell people when I'm talking about career advice or or sort of navigating different workplaces overseas in here is that one of the things I've always tried to rely on is my peers and looking to them as much as I look to to mentors and sponsors. And I think, you know, mentors have become a bit of a buzzword and actually your peers can be so valuable in these conversations because they've been through the same things, they're thinking the same things and in 10 years' time they're going to be the ones that are in charge of the organisations, that you're going to be in charge of the other organisations and you're going to rely on each other as you go through this together and they can be often your most valuable asset in looking at how to negotiate these situations. Yeah, especially if there's some long-term people in the mix, like if there's people that have been with that employer for a longer period of time than you, guaranteed they've had this discussion with their boss before. Absolutely. I love it. I've got a couple more questions. We're going to go to a break and when we come back, I'm going to hit you with the last few questions. If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis, but also those things that you want, like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role, or if it's time to quit your job. You can find our book wherever you get good books from, or you can listen on the audio book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Now let's get back to the show. 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, so for our male listeners who are wanting to help with this problem of the gender pay gap, what advice would you give them? Well, first I would say that men stand to benefit from workplace gender equality as much as women. It's not a zero-sum game. It's not like one goes in um, to succeed and the other to fail. This is about equalising workplaces for everyone so that they're better for everyone. And I think that's really important to remember And there are tons of ways men can work towards this and need to work towards this. You know, we've just established that men are much more likely to be in senior leadership roles and those are where the the decisions are made. But also men not in senior leadership roles can be advocates for this. And I think that if people in leadership roles see that both men and women are advocating for workplace gender equality policies, 
they're much more likely to see it as a priority. The second thing I'd say for both men and women is we all need to be conscious of our bias all the time. I think we've talked a lot about structural issues. There's just also just bias in the workplace that is happening all the time. Um, And I think we need to really have it at the forefront of our mind, you know, thinking, am I less likely to think this person doesn't deserve a promotion because she doesn't fit the stereotype of a leader? Uh, Do I think a person working part-time couldn't do a leadership role or is this person the best person for a job? I had this really recently. I was looking for someone for a role and I'd put down it was a full-time role. And then I thought to myself, actually, does this need to be a full-time role? Or would a really good person in a part-time role be just as good? I was asked myself that question and then thought, absolutely, a part-time person would be perfect. And what I need is a really competent and capable person. Am I responding differently to a request for carer's leave because it's a man? These things that I think we all just forget that they're biases that we have. Um, You know, I've got this family member who will be unnamed and he will be talking about a company and he'll say, oh, that woman CEO. I'm constantly saying, no, it's just a CEO. It's just a CEO. And, you know, I think it's things like that that we constantly have to have in our heads to make sure that we're treating everyone equally because those biases that may seem small are actually really big and they actually make up a lot of what goes into workplace gender equality. Yeah, that's really, it's such a good call out. Like I always cringe when I see that girl boss stuff. I'm like, oh, oh, like, no, like stop. I think I love that you're calling out both sides. Like when men submit carers leave requests and they're looked at more critically, I think there's so much bias that we just are so, it's so ingrained. That's why I guess it's called unconscious bias, that we don't know we're doing it. But we need to bring that from our unconscious into our conscious thought of going, how do I challenge my patterns of thinking here? Or what might be those patterns that are ingrained that I need to see shift and change? It's interesting how you're talking through all this stuff, Lucy, because as I was preparing for this interview, I was thinking about how Twitter has just appointed a new CEO, Linda Yaccarino, I believe her name is. And that idea that women are often appointed to CEO levels at a crisis point in an organisation where there's some kind of economic problem or like internal problem and that's when they get the opportunities. And I think that in and of itself is a really challenging spot. What's your take on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think we see that uh, across the board. And I also think that often there'll be a crisis at a at a company or at an organisation and there'll be a female CEO in charge. And one of the things that people will be really quick to jump to is that it's a female CEO in charge. Whereas there'll be a male CEO in charge of a, a company in crisis all the time and no one ever points out that it's a male CEO. It's just totally normal. And you think about the effects that that has on everyone, but especially little girls growing up thinking, oh, it's different if it's a woman that's a CEO because she's a woman CEO. And you think about the fact that that's still happening in 2023. It's just a bit distressing, isn't it? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, but I, I keep coming back to this idea and I know I've talked about it on previous episodes of we have to, I think it's Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, that says in order to get to change, you have to be confronted with the brutal reality 
Yeah. And this is one of those, this is one of those painful realities that's like, you know what, people might be feeling like, oh, gee, wow, that's heavy. But it is. <laughs> like, that's just the nature of it. It is. And unless we confront the facts of it, we're not going to see the change. And that's why I think what you're doing of publishing the data at Regia and making that information public is forcing us to come to terms with this is the reality but it doesn't have to stay that way. Like we can actually do stuff collectively and the systems need to change, but we as people can help shift that by addressing our own bias, by working through that. And so I just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing. And I think we can see these shifts happen. We're making progress in terms of the policy, but we absolutely want to see that number, that percentage number drop. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things I get distressed about the most is if people think this is not an issue, if they think that job done, we're basically equal now. Um, And so I think that the work that you're doing and the rest of the media is doing to actually bring this to light is super important. So thank you for doing this and for having me on the show. Awesome. Well, thanks, Lucy. Really appreciate getting to chat to you. For anyone who wants to reach out to you and connect, where's the best place to find you? You can find me. It's actually at Lucinda Bradlow at LinkedIn. Um, very professional. I use my proper name. Um, <laughs> I am also on Twitter. Awesome. Well, jump on. And if you enjoyed this episode, message Lucy to let her know. And if you want to find more resources, we'll have some links in the show notes. Thanks heaps for hanging out. Thanks, Lucy, for joining us. Thanks, Joe. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money and My Millennial Daily. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.